Hello, I'm really glad you joined us online today. I'd like to start, since this is the last message in the marathon series, I'd like to start with a recap of the the series. Week one, Marathon Truths. The Bible is a source of truth about our lives. We flourish when we line up with the truth of Scripture. Our lives need to line up with the truth of Scripture. Life flies by. So we need to number our days so that we get a heart of wisdom and learn how to make the most of our lives and not waste them. Week two, running in reality. In handling life through the decades, we do better if we align ourselves with reality as God sees it, not as we see it. He made life to work the way it does. So we need to line up with his reality. To make good decisions, we must grasp the realities of our specific situation. God weaves reality into the fabric of the way life works. If we don't line up with it, we hurt ourselves against the reality like a brick wall that we hurt ourselves against Because God has made boundaries for life. And this is happening all over the place in our culture today. We're, We're hurting ourselves. Week three, the starting line. In this message, we talked about the first two decades of life. In the race of life, years birth through ten are for learning to run, literally and figuratively. The focus in these dec- in this decade is learning the basics of living with God among people in an imperfect world. It is a challenge to train children from birth to 10. If you if you don't know that, just try to train a toddler. That is difficult. Birth to 10 though is a prime time for parents to raise up their kids in the training and instruction of the Lord. The teens, 11 through 20, are for suiting up, growing into an independent adult and not a rebel. That's the goal. It's important for a kid at any age to know that their parents like them, but especially in the teen years. They likely know that you love them, but... If they don't know and experience that you enjoy them, they will find someone who does, and that is not always a good thing for them. Week four, getting traction in the 20s and 30s. The 20s are for training. This is a time frame where this age group is deciding what they will live for. The patterns developed in this age in this decade, will dramatically impact the future. Important decisions are going on, like who's going to be your master? Who will be your mate? Uh, and what is your life going to be about? What's your mission in life? These are crucial de- decisions that, to a great extent, determine the outcome of our lives. So this is an important decade for sure. 
in many ways, you're laying the foundation in your 20s on which you will build the rest of your life. The 30s are a time for building, expanding career, growing a family, and developing a ministry. Week 5, we talked about running through fire. The 40s are a time when there is a desperate need for endurance. The race of life takes place amid difficult terrain. The 40s are when you're tempted to do something incredibly stupid to relieve all the pressure that you're under. This is when, this is the fire decade where you're, you're, the pressure is building so much that you feel like you're going to explode inside. And so we need to continue to walk with God through these decade, through this decade. Week six, accelerating to the finish. The 50s and 60s and beyond are a time when we need to keep relying on God. The 50s tend to be like swimming in a swamp. It's tempting to do something in your 50s that will ruin your credibility. This is when King David committed adultery and then murder to cover his tracks. He he should have been taking care of his responsibility. He should have been at war with his army, but he was messing around instead, and that got him into trouble for sure. The 60s are a time for accelerating to the finish. By God's design, it is a time to use your wisdom and influence to invest in and train younger generations. In in these years, it's tempting to think the past is as good as it gets. That's, those were the good old days. But we have a great deal to offer the next generation if we'll pour out the lessons that we've learned throughout our lives. Week seven, keep more moving forward. We all experience failure in life. In failure, we must rely on the grace of God to help us get up and keep moving forward. If we don't accept the grace of God in our failures, we stall in life, and that's not good. Today, we're talking about the greatest challenge. The greatest challenge throughout your years is to act in line with God's will in my present situation. Life goes best for those who focus on doing the will of God right now in this situation. In many situations, doing the will of God is the last thing on your mind. But it is the most important thing. It's the number one factor in living the best life that you can live. There are all kinds of ideas about how to live an extraordinary life on how to define success. Here's a video of a few people defining success. Let's watch this together. I define success as... Oh my gosh, you have challenged me right there. <laughs> I define, uh, ooh, okay. Huh. I guess 
Uh, I don't know. Success means motivation, passion, determination. Going to Disneyland. Just kicking down fear and doing what I have to do to survive. I define success by the amount of likes I receive on Instagram. I guess how I would define it would be the smiles that I see on my wife and kids' face each and every day I come home. That lets me know uh, what I'm doing is worthwhile and to keep going. I would describe it in one word, sincerity. Achieve the goals that you set for yourself. I started my Instagram account back in 2012. At that time, I had just lost my job. And it was one of those rare moments when I felt like I had time to really think about what I wanted to do with my life. I fell in love with Instagram. Now I do that as my job. I want to go back to law school to help change laws and also to improve society and the world understanding of people in general, especially those who are deaf and hard of hearing. I have thought about going back to school online because I don't think I could sit in a classroom with um, youngsters. They probably call me grandma. <laughs> Actually had a child at 22. I never really had time to go back to school, but he turned five and I went back and I got my high school diploma at 27. One of the goals I set for myself many years ago was to have a happy family and I think I've been successful in that. My first love is, you know, besides my wife, is music. I feel like I just have a lot to say to the world. I want to be the number one Instagrammer in the world. Waking up with the complete biggest smile on your face, knowing that you're going to make it. I would tell people to um, follow their gut. It's never too late to do anything. Don't sweat the small stuff. To embrace others for who they are. I think we all deep down know what we want to do in this world. And don't be afraid to be you. People define success in many ways. For some, success is excelling in sports, being successful in business, becoming a virtuoso with an instrument, being a rock star. Basically, you aim to climb your way to the top of the ladder in your field of endeavor. And that's defined success. But in reality, the number one factor in real success is to do the will of God in each situation that you face in the flow of life. Life's flowing by. And you need to understand the will of God in each situation. Through all the decades of your life, your greatest challenge will be situational living. Doing the will of God in my current situation. This is true whether you're 15, 35, 55, or 75 and beyond. An ordinary person drifts thoughtlessly throughout the day. I want to encourage you, don't be ordinary. Ordinary people encounter a situation and they ask, what do I want out of this situation? And then they make it their goal to get what they want. The Lord wants us, he wants to help us live an extraordinary life, however, and you do that by not 
focusing on what you want out of situations, but focusing on what God wants by doing the will of God in the situations that are flowing through your life. This is a fact. The greatest challenge through the decades is to focus on doing the will of God. Here's a perspective from a passage that's been our theme verse throughout this series. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. I'm to constantly monitor my conduct to line up with the will of God. So be careful how you live. Akrobos in Greek is carefully, uh, and it's the word we get acrobat from, obviously. A careless acrobat is a dead acrobat. Carpenters measure twice and cut once. And, you know, sometimes I can measure three or four times and still not get the cut right, but that's, I'm not that handy. But what this means is to be careful is I'm not sloppy in approaching God's will, but I'm exact. That's my goal, to be exact. A passage in the Old Testament says basically the same thing. Joshua 1.8, this book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. This passage was originally written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek, and the Old Testament in Hebrew. And the word careful means keep, watch, guard. Or in other words, monitor. Monitor what you're doing in life and line it up with the will of God in the situations that you're facing. The Hebrew word is the word shemar. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. We are often attacked by thoughts and feelings. And we're, we're hit with the thought, for instance, that God is just leading us to discouragement and just disappointment. And so I, I need to get some satisfaction in life my way. And I don't need to do God's will in this particular situation. The goal of this attack is to destroy our stewardships, the things that we're responsible for, and it's from the enemy. That's that's how it happens. Uh, in contrast, I am to understand God's will for each situation I face. I'm going to go back to <clears throat> Ephesians 5.17 right now, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Understanding 
in this passage is a Greek word that means to put together or comprehend. I grasp the opportunities in each situation, and to do this, I must grow in learning wisdom from God's perspective, and then in specific situations, I take my learnings and I put together how to act in doing God's will in this situation right now. We, we can easily go slack in our mind and get lazy in our thinking. This is when we're in the most danger, when we're discouraged, disappointed with what's going on. We can go slack and the enemy wants to destroy us through this. This is because life flows amid a broken world and its society. Earth was a paradise for the first couple. He, God made it for them. And if they hadn't rebelled against God, we would experience the same paradise that God gave them unless anyone in sub- subsequent generations chose to rebel. And I, I don't think that's likely <laughs> that Nobody else would have rebelled, but anyway, I digress. Since the fall of man, uh, this is what the theologians call the rebellion of the human race, we have an enemy who wars against God's people. Now, life on earth is not what God originally made it to be. He is working to restore it. But right now, it is a battle to live for God's will. Here's a description of what happened uh, in heaven, I would imagine, before time began. Revelation 7, 12, 7 through 10. Now, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accusers of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before our God. Someday, this is a picture that someday Satan is going to be defeated once and for all. Jesus Christ has won the war. But we're still in a fight while we live on this earth. The fight's not over. The battle will continue till the day we die or till Jesus comes back and makes history right. And what this says is he's the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us in our thoughts and feelings. He says things like, a real Christian would never do that. A real Christian wouldn't feel that. 
they wouldn't say that. The flaming arrows are fired by our enemy to create doubt about your salvation, confusion, and a host of other things. So the battle takes place in our thoughts and feelings. We need to recognize this. And if we do, it prepares us to fight the spiritual battle we're in. Ephesians uh, 6, 11, and 12 says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We, we are tempted in our minds. This, this means that we are tempted in our minds to do incredibly foolish things. And that's where the battle is taking place, in our thoughts and emotions, in our heart. I'm reading a book right now with the title, Crucial Conversations. And the book states that 70% of the success of a crucial conversation happens in your head. Crucial conversations are defined in the book as when you're having a conflict or when you need to confront someone about a pattern in their life. Uh, But the 70% of the success happens in your head, not through your mouth. And if we let our mouth just fly, evil lies close at hand. And so what we need to do is battle against the enemy who's supercharging our thoughts and emotions to get our, get us to say and do things that we wouldn't normally do. And here's, here's a, a, an attack a way to counter the attack with words. And uh, here here it is, uh, a passage that really helps me when I just want to let it fly. Uh, Ephesians 4.29, Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear. That severely limits the words you use. I, I realized I need to use less words one time when I was railing against a volunteer referee at my daughter Lindsay's soccer match. And so I memorized uh, e- Ecclesiastes 6.11 to help. The more the words, the less the meaning And how does that profit anyone? That reminds me to reel it in. Don't say a lot of words. Just when you let it fly, it's a problem. Jesus shows us how to use the Word of God. It's called the Sword of the Spirit in the list of the armor in Scripture. He shows us how to use the Word of God when he was tempted after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He faced down 
the three temptations by quoting scripture. He quoted Deuteronomy 8.3, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When he was tempted to turn stones into bread, which he could have done, uh, he quoted that passage. He was incredibly hungry, too. It was a real temptation, I'm sure. He quoted Deuteronomy 6.16, You should never tempt God when he was tempted to throw himself down from the pinnacle of the temple. The Satan knew he was being tempted by Satan, and Satan knew that the angels wouldn't let him be harmed. And so, but Jesus is not going to use his power frivolously and arbitrarily without something being needed. And then when he was tempted to fall down and worship Satan, he quoted, You shall worship God alone. Satan has a certain amount of power. He's called the prince of the power of the air in the Bible. And he has a certain limited amount of authority over the earth. And that's because he's trying to get everyone to go uh, a wrong direction. Um, But Jesus, like he does always when he lived on earth, shows us how to live and how to fight the fight. Our greatest challenge is to do the will of God while we're here on earth. And Jesus shows us how to fight the battle against the enemy. I'd like to start wrapping up this message by going back to our theme verse again. In Ephesians 5.16, the Greek word evil means to be hurtful or evil in effect or influence. It says, make the most of the every opportunity in these evil days. Living in the evil word means we're going to get hurt. People are going to say something that hurts us. People are going to do something like at work. They're going to undercut our credit. They're they're going to take credit for what we have done. Um, and in families, we we just, somebody blows up at us and we're, we're hurt by their anger. And this happens all the time. And we could get bitter. So we must guard against resentment and bitterness. Sometimes hurt impacts our emotions and we don't think very clearly. If, if, if we hadn't been work, hurt, then we, we don't, we don't think that clearly. We must work through the hurt before God to do his will, or we miss the opportunities that are in front of us to do good and to make real progress in life. The age in which we live makes it 
very difficult practically to do the will of God. The world at large pulls against doing God's will. It's like swimming against the current in the ocean or river. It's, it's, it's difficult to do because these days are, make it so difficult to do God's will. I don't drift thoughtlessly throughout the day. I don't want to drift thoughtlessly throughout the day. Therefore, I keep my mind on a short leash. An unleashed dog in the streets sniffs the trash and stuff around him. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to let my mind go to the trashy things, but I want to stay focused on the things of God. Thoughtlessly is a Greek word that means you're walking through life without cognitive faculties, <laughs> without a reason for what you're doing. You're just in autopilot and you're doing what you do normally. Don't act thoughtlessly. That's what the passage says. I, I must stay spiritually alert and intentionally engage my mind to recognize God-sent opportunities, to make the most of them, and to exploit them, which means make the, make the most of the opportunities that flow through your life. I must recognize the enemy's approach and attack, or I get messed up. I, I must live with the knowledge that everything I do will be brought into judgment by God. This should make us focus on doing the will of God and clearing things up with God when we don't do his will or the people that we've hurt in life. We talked about this reality in week two of this series Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. No person on earth escapes this world alive. We're going to die at some point. That's what the passage Hebrews 9.27 says. We should focus on the next life by doing the will of God in this life. This is how we live the best life we can possibly live here and now and stack up rewards in heaven. We're coming to the close of the Marathon Message Series, and I, I hope it's been very helpful to you. Uh, I want to stop, as I always do, and give you some time to think through some next steps that you want to take after hearing this message. I'm going to suggest some, but may, you, you may have had others that have come to mind. Here are my suggestions. For the first time, I accept Jesus as my Savior and commit to follow him 
as Lord. Maybe you've been investigating Christ and you've had your answers, your questions answered, and you're ready to commit. Do it now. I will fight. Another suggestion uh, is I will fight my enemy to focus my life on doing the will of God. And then a third suggestion, I will work through any hurt I have to forgive those who have hurt me. That it's it's a process to work through hurt. You make a decision to forgive and then you work through the process, emotional process of forgiveness. And you do that by keep continuing to go back to the the decision that you made to forgive the person. And quoting the passage that maybe a passage on forgiveness, like Ephesians 4, 32. Uh, and, and then that will help you move forward. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's where the victory comes from, from and the freedom from the bondage of unforgiveness. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your kindness and goodness to us in showing us how to live in your word. We, we make good progress. We have success as we do the will of God that you have revealed in your scripture. And I pray that you'd help us to do this will today. And that you'd give us the strength to take the steps that you've laid on our heart to take. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.